Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. Hello, Minimizers. Welcome to the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus. And together we are the Minimalists. The less we consume, the less waste we produce. Amen. But that's only one way that minimalism helps the environment. Today on the show, we're talking about, well, something that's pretty important to us sustainable living. We're here with Claire Potter. She's the author of this new book. It's called Welcome to the Circular Economy. And this Thursday on the Minimalist Private Podcast, Claire, Ryan, and I, we're going to discuss how helping the environment actually helps the economy. We'll also address some misconceptions about living sustainably. You can check that out at patreon.com slash the minimalist. Your support keeps our podcast and YouTube channel 100% advertisement free because, say it with me, y'all. Advertisement sucks. (laughs) Oh, Claire, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Great to have you. I really enjoyed your book, and we're going to dive into the book. But as you know, this is a listener-driven show. And so we're going to get right into the questions. Our first question today is from Sam on Patreon. I'm a fan of safety and sustainability, but it seems like the pandemic created more waste than ever. With all those disposable masks, gloves, test kits, to-go containers, chemical cleaners, and packaging from online shopping, what impact did this have on our environment, and how can we move forward safely with less waste? Now, Claire, it's safe to say that, yes, that those are many of the downsides. We also, have, especially initially, we had some upsides. I remember driving around, well, actually not driving. I was walking around Los Angeles during the beginning of the pandemic, and I noticed how clear it was here. Mm. This is notorious for having, a. the city is notorious for having a lot of air pollution, a lot of particulates trapped in the valley here. And so... That was different. But yes, there has been a ton of waste. I printed out this article here, ironically, because everything we do is (laughs) ironic. I printed out this article from CBS News. More than 57 million pounds of PPE and other COVID-related plastic waste have polluted the ocean since the pandemic began. And this is from November, last November. Wow. So it's even more now, you know, probably 60, 70 million pounds. Mm -hmm. And so that's obviously a big problem. So it's a mixed bag in some ways. Can we talk about what the consequences of this might be? Sure. So that's it's scary statistics. And that's the mm-hmm. thing about COVID is that it it suddenly brought so much into sharp focus. We suddenly saw pollution levels dropping mm-hmm. globally, you mm-hmm. know, mountains that could be seen in places that you can't usually see because of the smog. But then we also had people that maybe were doing like beach cleans and were doing street cleans and saying they were picking up all this new type of plastic mm. and all of the stuff that we have, the, all the PPE is plastic based. So the stuff that we didn't have in 2019 as a problem, we now have as a problem with the vast amounts of stuff that's just escaping into our environment. That's right. And it's really interesting when you think about plastic as a material because it isn't necessarily a bad material. It has allowed us to be safe. It's how mm-hmm. it allowed a lot of people to feel safe. Mm-hmm. 
But then once it escapes our systems, which are flawed, and I'm sure we're going to talk about more, that's where it creates the issue for the wider environment. So we are finding stuff at, you know, the bottom of the ocean, on beach cleans, as well as just around. Mm-hmm. So we've got entanglements of, um, of different species, wherever they are. Ingestion, so they're eating mm. it as well. Yeah. Breaking down into microplastics. So yeah. we are sort of still finding the impact, negative impact, that our ability to handle COVID is going to have. Yeah. And I'm wondering, you know, the second part of this question was how do we move forward safely with less waste? Because it makes sense in some scenarios to have PPE. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you know, the, you're in greater danger of catching a virus that's potentially deadly, et cetera. Now, what we're learning with new variants and so forth that are that are less deadly, I see in the UK, they're not masking children. I don't know that, that they ever have. And so um, here with the school that my daughter goes to, you know, she has to wear a, a mask every day. And, mm. and so this is producing a lot of waste. How do we move forward out of this? I mean, there's an individual level and then it seems to me there's like a more societal or regulation based level as well. Yeah, so a lot of the stuff that comes around um, circularity comes around the the terms of reuse. So we're trying to eliminate single-use anything. Mm-hmm. And of course, with PPE, you do have single-use masks, you have different single-use items, you know, tests are, you know, by their very nature, single use. You test, you go. Mm-hmm. Syringes um, are a big one, which yeah. have to be incinerated, which is yeah. terrible for the environment. Mm. Exactly. So there are some things that have to remain single use. But there yeah. are a lot of things that have sort of come into our lives around the pandemic that we can have as reusable. So reusable masks, they are so easy to get hold of and mm. they are very high quality. They give you more protection or sometimes the same protection as, you know, a medical grade mask. Mm. So instead of thinking a single-use item, you should think about reusable items. And then that expands outwards into the rest of your life as well. Yeah. You talked about uh, regulation. And it's almost like to solve the plastic problem. Because, yes, there's a lot of... There's a plastic problem with all the COVID stuff. But not to mention all the other, you know, the problems that plastic causes with, you know, water bottles and everything else. All these Mm. different single-use packaging. Um, I wonder if it will take regulation to, you know, basically say, hey, you've got to come up with a plastic Mm -hmm. that is biodegradable. Now, I know right now they do have, and maybe you can speak more to this, Claire. Mm -hmm. I know they have biodegradable plastics, but um, the ones that I've seen, it's, you have to like actually bury those properly. And if you don't bury them properly, then they're, you know, take just as long to decompose as regular plastic. Now, Probably a little less hurtful on the environment, but mm-hmm. um, but yeah, where, where are we at right now with these decompostable? Uh, or I'm sorry, these compostable plastics. Sure. So um, people probably see there's a variety of different plastics. You have your regular fossil fuel based plastics. Mm-hmm. That's anything like PET, like a you know a soft drink bottle is usually a fossil fuel based plastic. Yeah. So that just doesn't decompose at all. It still is here now. So every piece of plastic we've ever created Mm. since probably the 1950s is still here unless we've incinerated it. So unless we've burnt it, Mm -hmm. it exists just albeit in a smaller amount. Nano she's saying burn all the plastic will be fine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what is interesting is that once you have a material that is a problem, that's usually what we go to, right? We we either bury it or we burn it. Um, And circularity is about trying to keep those important plastics, uh, materials rather, going. And plastic's a great material. Mm -hmm. It's awesome. It's lightweight. It's, in many regards, unbreakable. You can transport things long distances. It's a lower carbon footprint to transport stuff because they're lighter. Mm -hmm. It's allowed us to have, you know, vehicles that are much more efficient. So the material itself is amazing. And you can go to the hospital and know that the thing that's being put in your arm is safe and sterile. Uh 
So it is a wondrous material. Yeah. But the way we use it is really bad. It's mm -hmm. fundamentally wrong because we use it single use. So right. they are things like biodegradable plastics or compostable plastics. Mm -hmm. And you look again, you look at the packet and go, that's awesome because it's going to go away. But as you said, unless you put it into the right sort of situations, mm -hmm. which is higher temperatures, uh -huh. industrial composting facilities, it also doesn't go away. Yeah. So there's studies in the UK of these compostable bags. You can get, you know, your groceries in. And uh, researchers have buried them in the garden thinking, you know, compostable packaging mm. and then dug them up <laughs> years later yeah. and put the same shopping in them and walked around. Oh, wow. It hasn't lost any structural integrity. So it's again, it's the systems. We need industrial composting systems that are readily available to us all and not just in some locations yeah. um, to deal with stuff like that. Yeah. So well, there's mm, so much great advancements, but we haven't quite joined the we're dots so yet. Yeah, we're, like getting we're so there. close. Yeah, we're getting there. Yeah. I'm a, I am an optimist. Mm. On the Maximal <laughs> episode this week, I do want to talk to you about maybe why we shouldn't recycle plastic. I've got an article that I want to discuss because I think we don't really understand what we're doing sometimes. We, mm -hmm. we think we're recycling and that's good for the environment. That may not necessarily be true. I want to dive deep into that. We've got a long article to go over there. But Sam, thank you for your question. Let's move on to our callers, Ryan. If you have a question, comment, or tip for our podcast, you can call us at 406-219-7839 or email a voice memo to podcast at theminimalists.com. Looks like we have a question here from Kaylin in Miami, Florida. How do you become an aspiring minimalist who lives with people who don't understand the value yet of living simply and clearing clutter, including paper clutter and clothing? So Claire, really what Kaylin's saying here, and the, the question was much longer than that podcast, Sean attenuated it down a bit, but the essence of the question is how do we stay motivated and inspire others to live a sustainable minimalist life? You know, it's funny. Uh, I think of two things. Ryan and I were just in Columbus, Ohio uh, last month, and <laughs> uh, we were stuck there. It was an ice storm there <laughs> when we when we arrived. We were doing a tour stop, the Love People Use Things tour. We were out on the road, and one of the tour stops we had was in Columbus, and it was at like the nicest mall in Ohio, the Easton Mall. And yeah. we're walking in there. I, actually, I walked in by myself, and this person comes up and goes, hey, minimalist, what are you doing in the mall? <laughs> <laughs> and I totally felt like a politician who was caught at a glory hole. Like, <laughs> I swear I'm not shopping. Um, uh, I, I have something to do here. And all of a sudden, I, I realized that like, well, wait a minute. I am speaking in a mall. Ryan and I often speak in malls. Mm -hmm. Where would we rather speak? It wouldn't make sense for us to go to a Buddhist monastery or a place with a bunch of monks or something. All right, guys, let's talk about simple living. Yeah. And so if you're with other people, it's not about proselytizing toward, uh, toward them. And that's what I love about your book, Claire. And yeah. Even with me and Ryan, like I never jumped up and said, hey, Ryan, you need to become a minimalist. That doesn't work. What does work is showing people the benefits mm. of simplifying or the mm. benefits of sustainable living. Although in your book, you do talk about, even though sustainable is in the title, in, in the <laughs> book, you talk about how uh, well, you don't want to sustain a broken system. Maybe yeah. you could expand on that a bit. Yeah. So what's interesting about the term sustainability is it's one that everybody knows, right? Mm -hmm. So you walk down the street and if you say to somebody, hey, can we have a chat about sustainability? They'll go, yes, if they say yes or no, they'll understand what you're talking about. Yeah. 
Whereas really, when we think about the word sustain, it's to carry on something, Mm. you know, hopefully indefinitely, sustaining something almost forever. Mm. But the way that we've built our systems, we can't do that. Mm. We can't sustain something that hasn't worked for a long time. Mm. So it was really frustrating to think, you know, I kind of need to talk about sustainability so people can look at the book and go, I kind of know what it's going to be talking about. Mm -hmm. But then really early on, I was like, yeah, I've only, I think it's five times in the book. It says sustainable because I'm like, you know, let's try and get a more descriptive type of language. Is it about regeneration? Mm -hmm. Is it about circularity? What is it Mm -hmm. beyond sustainability? But yeah, it's the term that everybody knows whether they love it or hate it. Yeah. Let's talk a bit about the circular economy. I love the distinction that you make here. So uh, we have like a single use economy, which seems to be what we're going toward. Let me just buy everything one click, Mm -hmm. dispose of it immediately as soon as I'm done, Mm. eat off of plastic plates with plastic cutlery, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And then you have the sort of recycling version of that, which is a circuitous route to the same place. Mm-hmm. And I learned that in your book and I had never thought about it that way. You had some really simple diagrams in there. It was like, of course, that's ex- exactly what happens. Yeah. But then the circular economy is a bit different. Yeah, so linear economy, as you said, straight to the bin. Use something, you take out something out of the ground, you make the thing, you you know, ends up in the bin at some point, maybe mm-hmm. seconds, maybe years. Recycling goes around a little bit longer, use it a bit more, but then circularity is basically how nature works. Nature doesn't have waste. So there's no species that creates anything that needs to be landfilled or incinerated. Another species will benefit from that. Mm -hmm. Um, And it goes round and round without any loss of quality and benefiting something else along the way. So we're the only species that doesn't work like that on the whole planet. And you look at it and you go, "Mm, that's kind of dumb. Mm, That's really dumb that we've kind of built other ways of working thinking that we're above that. Yeah. And we're really not. Well, just, in the book, you talk about how nature doesn't produce waste, but we we produce waste. Yeah. And how strange is it that that all of a sudden we're pro- and we're part of nature? Yeah. So in a weird way, the only way that nature produces waste is when it produces humans who produce waste. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it's it's a crazy thought. When quite often when I talk to people and I say, you know, we need to try and function more like nature. We need to learn about systems, how things are interconnected, where things are difficult, mm. and trying to find a new system for that. Very much like composting, for example, mm-hmm. like the industrial composting. Yeah. Um, and people have that exact reaction. They go, Oh yeah. Well, we're kind of in nature too. And it's like, yeah, we're kind of part of the biosphere. Yeah. Yeah, we're the dominant species, but we're certainly not the most clever, even though we think we are. Um, Speak for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> but it is, it's, it's, a, it's a really crazy thought to think how far we've come thinking that we're above all of that. Yeah. And it's biting yeah. us in the bum. Man, I think we're just, we're a creature of convenience. And mm. that's... I think that's where our downfall is. I mean, you mentioned the one-click shopping. I mean, it's it's convenient. It's You can have it in LA, you can have it the same day. And then it comes in a nice big box and inside that box is a, is a uh, piece of plastic packaging and inside that plastic packaging are other little plastic parts. Um, but it's it was brought right to our front doorstep. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really overwhelming when I think about it because where my mind goes, it goes back to that regulation. And I am not a fan of regulation. Mm. But it's like, I, I don't know how else we get past it. Because yes, on an individual level, Mm-hmm. We can do uh, do our part, but you know, just speaking to to Kaylin's question here, yeah, when you live with people who are not on that same mindset, it can be uh, a little disheartening. Like looking at all the waste that other people produce, 
Um, but yeah, unfortunately, you can't like hold a gun to someone's head and make them do the right thing. Well, you... unless you're the government. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and, Which brings me back to regulation. <laughs> and I think that's the thing. Is regulation, that's not one of the three to ten R's in your book, is it? <laughs> it, it, it is. Okay. Yeah. Oh, is it? okay. Regulation is, is, is right at the end. And it, okay. kind of, it kind of picks up on that fact is that, yeah. you know, we are all individual. We have individual choices. However, the choices we've been given by industry are pretty crap. Mm -hmm. So we're not being given the mm -hmm. right choices to enable mm -hmm. us to do good stuff mm -hmm. yeah. and to be able to be impactful in whichever way, very very small or very big. So regulations from above are really important. And what really yeah. grates me is when so much responsibility is put onto the individual. Mm -hmm. It's like, you should use your reusable cup and you should do this. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people are already doing that. And you kind of think, yeah, but all of the stuff that's being given as choices quite often is really bad. So right. my small yes. action is is great, but what about all the big corporations yeah. that are not being held to account? I, I really am just like hoping for and optimistic that someone's going to come up with a cheaper version of a compostable plastic that doesn't have to be buried a certain way. Like I, we've got to be, I mean, there's got to be some R&D going on to oh, like yeah, find this. And as soon as it does, like it will change It'll change the whole game. The, the other thing I worry about too, and you know, this might be going like way too far off on a tangent, but you're, but, but if you get rid of plastic, now you're messing with oil. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of money in oil, a lot of lobbyists who, you know, lobby to keep plastic going and oil going. So there's, there's just, uh, there's no simple fix, but mm -hmm. I do have hope that there's something out there. Yeah, I mean, that is a great demonstration of how everything is linked together. Mm -hmm. So yeah, plastics were originally created as um, a waste product to the fossil fuel industry. Mm -hmm. So of course, when it comes to lobbying against anti-plastic laws or, or reduction or even reusables, and reusables can also be made in plastic, and Coca-Cola's just announced that they're going to be creating more reusable plastic containers mm. for their products. So reuse is still plastic. But yeah. when it comes to lobbying, plastics and oil, you know, they're best buds. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, you're never going to get progressive change when you have something that is mm. such a huge industry. That's yeah. so encouraging to hear that Coca-Cola has done that, because that's you know, if we don't regulate it, that's the way that we're really going to change it. Mm. Is when these big corporations step up and they're like, they see the problem that they're causing and then they decide to do something about it. Um, as long as it's scaled yeah. and it's not just one tiny little thing where they go, yeah. oh yeah, look at this really cool little green thing we're doing over here. Mm -mm -mm, right. Everything else in the background. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Which absolutely. happens a lot. Yeah. So, but yeah. I'm an optimist. Yeah, me too. If me people too. embrace it, then hopefully it will grow. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I would, yeah. I'll just leave it at that. I'm an optimist. I, I really want to be like, the corporations are going to do the right thing, but... <laughs> yeah. Tweet that podcast, yeah. Sean. No. That is, that's no, going to no. get a reaction. Don't tweet He's that. Going, no, no, no. Hey, Kaylin, I'm sorry we missed you while we were on the road. Since I told that story about our Columbus event, I'd love to send you a recording of that. Uh, we, saw, we saw four more events to go because they all four got postponed. Yeah. So we did 20 cities on this Love People Use Things tour with our most recent book. It's been a blast. It's been our best tour, 10th tour in 12 years. Wow. You can find all of the recordings of That's previous great. events over at theminimalists.com slash previous. Or, uh, Kaylin, I'll go ahead and send you the Columbus event as soon as it comes out. That one was great. Yeah. We had Danae Barahona there. Dude. She was awesome. Uh, TK Coleman surprised us and showed up. Oh, right. And it was amazing. <laughs> That's right. Such a, such a great event there in Columbus. Yeah. We've had so many good guests. We Yeah, Seth Godin. Um, we, we had uh, Matt Nathanson as, as a guest. I mean, we've had 
there's a lot of awesome live events there over on Patreon. For yes, sure. indeed. So you can find those theminimalists.com slash previous all of our past events and even the previous tours. A lot of those we have filmed or the audio recorded as well. You can just click on a link yes. to check out the audio if over you, there. If you like laughter, you'll love the JP Sears episode. <laughs> where oh, we had yes. him on with us in Atlanta, it was it was great. He um, that was twenty seventeen. Yeah, he yeah he basically uh, told me that I dressed like a homeless man. And, <laughs> <laughs> wow. And other antics. Yeah, <laughs> and other fun. insults by JP Sears. We got four more uh, tour stops coming up: Chicago, Minneapolis, Toronto, Vancouver. You can find all the information on our website, theminimalists.com slash tour. Do we have any questions from the live stream, Alabama? We do. We have a question from Mike. Being vegan is seen to be sustainable and environmentally friendly, but doesn't growing crops and harvesting fields do as much damage as farming meat? This is a fascinating question, Claire, because I think quite often <laughs> what we get into here is we we like to pick a side right? and mm. it becomes my side and my side's dogma. Before we started recording, the, the Patreon live stream can actually see us. Ryan was talking about, um, you can go vegan and eat whole foods, or you can go vegan like Ryan did once upon a time and eat Oreos. Double stuffed Oreos. Eat whole Oreos. <laughs> and I'm Tuesday. lobbying for a triple stuffed Oreo. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be one by the end of the year. Single wrapped in plastic. Right, exactly. Yeah. Now, now, Claire, what, what uh, I think we can talk about here is quite often the things that contribute to meat being bad for the environment often has to do with factory farming. It has to do with non-regenerative agriculture. It has to do with moving crops from elsewhere in the world in order to feed animals here in the United States. And so uh, uh, at terrible factory farms that mistreat animals. Mm -hmm. And then it also has to do with, you know, if you're just eating vegan, but you're eating a bunch of pesticide-laden plants or a bunch of Oreos, mm -hmm. like that's also not the ideal. Yeah. And so it's not necessarily about this binary right. of here's good, here's bad. Mm -hmm. right. It's about understanding all of these confounding factors that, that make certain, well, especially ruminant animals um, because of the methane that they produce, but all everything else that goes into it can be can be a tremendous tax on the environment, right? Mm, yeah, definitely. And I think this is, I mean, we're, um, we've just had Veganuary, which gets bigger, bigger every year. So this is when people pledge to become vegan for the month of January. Mm. Um, and this is now a global thing. And, mm. you know, signatories from all over, really interesting. Uh, and I think when people look at something like veganism and think, you know, oh, you know, is that actually going to save the planet? Because mm -hmm. you hear a lot of reports that say it, do, it, it will. It's really important to look at the metrics and not be binary mm -hmm. on it. Yeah. So yeah, people go, well, you're either vegan or you're a meat eater. Well, no, there's <laughs> lots of things in between. You know, yes. you can choose to be vegan some of the time. And actually people go, oh, I can never eat vegan foods. And then you go, okay, you had a salad? <laughs> <laughs> and they go... Yeah, but that doesn't count. And you go, well, yeah, that's exactly, that, that is, that's exactly <laughs> the point is eating plants. Um, but there's some, there are some inter interesting statistics. So um, soy is one thing that often people sort of jump on and say, mm. well, soy production is responsible for a huge amount of deforestation, some of it legal, some of it illegal. Mm -hmm. um, but most of that soy production actually goes to animal feed. Mm. So about 90% of mm. some of the sort of the South American countries' production of soy goes to feed animals. Interesting. Right. So it doesn't go to feed the vegans. Now, of course, some of it does, yeah. Um, yeah. but it's a really, really complex system. Yes. 
And that is part of it, is it's not just yes or no, or black and white, mm-hmm. or vegan or carnivore. Mm-hmm, There's yeah. all the different intermeshings of it. Yeah. Um, and really, we should be encouraging everybody to just understand a little bit more about the systems they're in. Yeah, because I think that's, that's the, the main yeah. thing. Because mm-hmm. I eat meat every day. I can't eat most plants. I have a really terrible autoimmune disease. So anytime I eat fiber, full body inflammation, it, and, and yet... You can eat meat in a way that comes from regenerative farms. It's not factory farm. They're not feeding soy or corn or all of these other industrial crops. They're actually eating grass mm. uh, and there's humane slaughter, etc. And, and so when you when you do that, that's one way of being more intentional with your dietary choices. We actually had uh, Rich Roll, my favorite vegan. He mm. was on the pod. He's been on the podcast four or five times at this point now. But uh, we had him on here with Paul Saladino, who's the carnivore doctor. Mm -hmm. And so we have Rich Roll and Paul Saladino. You would think they would have nothing in common. But what we actually talked to them about was, oh, no, they... What they have in common is making intentional choices, avoiding factory farming, avoiding pesticides, avoiding refined seed oils, Mm -hmm. avoiding Oreos and other processed foods. Right. And they agree on so much of what not to do. Mm. And quite often what you don't do, and you talk about this a bit in your book, has more impact than what you actually do do. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And understanding what's in your food. I mean, you can eat whole foods, whatever that's, whether that's meat, whether that's fish, whether that's dairy, veg, you know, it's a whole food. Mm-hmm. Hasn't been sort of tampered with or processed in any way. Yeah. Or you can eat the processed food. Right. And some processed food has got, you know, a variety of different health metrics, which are good or bad. Mm-hmm. But a lot of it contains utter rubbish. So mm-hmm. regardless of whether you're vegan or whether you're kind of or whatever, mm-hmm. it's understanding what you're putting into your body because that's the nourishment. We, that's the fuel, right? That's what we've got to move ourselves on a daily basis. Yeah. And each of us function differently. So I haven't eaten meat for ooh, 14 or 15 years. Wow. My body works really well on it. Mm. I did go back to eating meat for a bit mm-hmm. and didn't do so well. Mm. And yet yourself, yeah. you're the complete opposite. Yeah. And it's about that balance of understanding that what suits one person is not going to suit the next. Yeah. And that's exactly the same as circularity. There's no template saying everybody has to do this thing right. because it depends where you're on the world. depends on your culture. depends on your economics as well. Yeah, a lot right. of people can't afford to eat really, really healthy foods mm-hmm. because trash food is available and it's really cheap. Yeah. So how do we get the ability and the choices to those kinds of people to even try and make better choices? It's yeah. really, really hard. Yeah. So the key is is being informed with the diet that you choose, what works best for you, where is that food coming from? Mm-hmm. But so, you know, to, to maybe reframe the question, it's not about, well, is vegan farming just as harmful? Maybe it's... Um, is factory farming, mm. is that harmful? And and that is maybe something that carnivores and vegans can agree upon that, yeah, factory farming can be detrimental. Yeah, mm. a lot of soy, a lot of corn, all this stuff that we're either feeding the humans or feeding to animals, plus the pesticides that are all over these mm. things. Mm. Yep. Talk about being uh, the opposite of nourishing your body. We're, we're often poisoning our body with food-like substances. Yeah. It's not real food. So I love what we're saying here. We're talking about eating whole food. And if you can if you can eat more plants in your diet, then that's one way to do it. Or if you can be more responsible with whatever you're consuming then that's another way to do it. Mm-hmm. Ryan, what time is it? You know what time it is. It's time for the lightning round where we answer your text messages. You can text your questions and comments to 937-202-4654. Now, Claire, 
This is where we answer questions with a short, shareable, less than 140 character response. <laughs> Podcast Sean puts them in the show notes so you can copy and share our pithy answers on social media if you like. And now you can find all of our Minimal Maxims in one place. Thanks to our good friend, Jessica Lynn Williams, uh, minimalmaxims.com. By the way, I should say, Podcast Sean, if you could put in the show notes that episode we did with... Paul Saladino and Rich Roll. I just found that because there was a lot more agreeing going on. There was a bit of a spat at the end of it, <laughs> but um, there was much more agreeing, 80, 90% agreeing going on than just simply a debate or an argument yeah. that goes <sighs> nowhere. If we could just like use that as a model for everything that's happening in the world right now, we all agree on about 90% of everything. <laughs> but I want to yell at you for the other 10%. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You've got to have a bit of yelling. Uh, yeah, and that, that doesn't ever convert anyone. No. Uh, the, the guy who's on the uh, corner with the megaphone yelling at people they're going to burn in hell. Why got to call me out like that? <laughs> <laughs> he just does that because he doesn't like their sneakers, though. <laughs> Anyway, we've got a question here from Lisa. How can we frame sustainable living in a way that gets non-environmentalists interested? So here, I've got a pithy answer for you. And I think we already kind of talked about how the benefits are more beneficial than the what. So here's my, here's my pithy answer. Living with less is the best way to live with more. Now, if you can show that to other people, when Ryan came to me and he said, hey, man, why the hell are you so happy? It wasn't about, hey, man, can you show me how to declutter my kitchen? <laughs> my cabinets are too full. No, 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 no. Like, we all know how to declutter our kitchen. The reason we don't do it is we don't understand the benefits. So you can show it because living with less is one way for you to live with more. Mm. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Ryan, you got anything pithy for us? All right, I'll go. My pithy answer, I totally stole from you. I'm sure you said this at some point. Uh, coercion is not consent. <laughs> so you cannot coerce someone into being uh, a, an advocate for the environment. There's no... This is the trillion dollar question, right? Mm -hmm. How do you get people who aren't environmentalists to care about the environment? That is something that certainly we can't answer in 140 characters. But what I can say is saying the right thing to someone that's 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 coercing them and that's not um that's not how you're going to get someone to buy into doing good things for the environment i will say like i've seen some ideas on finding common ground with people so uh instead of talking about the doom and gloom of styrofoam and the ozone layer and you know how we're killing the planet you can appeal to like hey you like you like to fish right and you like to hunt right and if you want to keep these rivers clean, if you want to keep uh, these forests here so you can keep hunting, you know, we've got to look at some uh, conservation type thing. So mm -hmm. it's really about finding that common ground, I think, is where you can maybe help people start to see the benefits. But there's nothing you can just like pitch to them and they're going to be like, oh, wow, now I'm going to recycle, which is a whole <laughs> other debate, by the way, yeah. <laughs> whether that actually helps or not. We're going to get into that on the, yeah. on the maximal. Uh, but with respect to this question, quite often we are so... Mm, want to convince yeah. i i need to convince you i need to convert you to my singularly correct worldview mm -hmm. and that kind of self-righteousness will often make us miserable now i don't know lisa if uh if that's what you're trying to do you're just going to make yourself really really miserable yeah. but if you can display what you're doing in a way that shows the benefits then it might inspire some other people without having to convince them at all mm. Yeah, I think not leading by example, because that kind of puts the sort of the thought that you're in front of somebody else, but right. just walking alongside somebody and having a conversation yeah. is so important. 
And, you know, I quite often say to people, I mean, we were talking about before we started, we're all kind of on the same rock. Yeah. We're all on earth. So really, when we think about, you know, environmentalism, sustainability, we should all have some level of, you know, integration with that or concern about that because it's our home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And whether you have children or not, you know, this is a responsibility that we have. So, yeah, I think conversations, walk alongside somebody, mm. have a chat. Yeah. Talk and, less, listen more. Yeah. yeah. See what their point of view is yeah. and go from there. Yeah. And then the the nice thing that as soon as they see the benefits, it really opens up the door for that conversation. When Ryan came to me and said, why the hell are you so happy? It was now the door is open. I can yeah. say, well, there's this thing called minimalism I've been trying out. Yeah. You didn't coerce me. You didn't say like a magic sentence or a magic insult that made me be like, oh, I need to minimize. Yeah. I didn't even convince you. You were convinced without my trying to convince you. Yeah. Mm. And I think that is really the key. We got so much more to talk about. But first, Malabama, what do you got for us? Here are some voicemail comments and insights from our listeners. Hey, Joshua and Ryan. This is Lewis from Rural in the UK. I have a tip related to your 229th podcast, Tech Problems. The majority of us, when we receive a smartphone, never change the default sounds played for notifications received. So when we hear one of these default sounds, this can create an unnecessary urge for us to pull out our smartphones and only to find the notification was received on another nearby device. By changing the default sounds on your smartphone to sounds you don't hear within your home and working environment, over time you learn to disassociate these sounds with your smartphone. I have found this helps maintain my focus in busy environments and has reduced unnecessary checking of my own smartphone. Hey Josh and Ryan, this is Haley from Arkansas. I feel like I've noticed a lot of other parents that are trying to get into this minimalism thing, having trouble knowing what to do with all of the crafts and drawings and things that their children bring home from school. And uh, I recently discovered an app called Keepy. That's K-E-E-P-Y. And it's really neat. You can take a picture of whatever the item is, and you can write a description of it. You can um, put when it was created and where. And then you can also record a video of your child describing what the drawing is of. And um, you can separate it to all of your children. So you have a different uh, folder for each child. And then you can share all these things privately with whatever family and friends that you want to. The app costs about $15 a year, but that seems really reasonable to me to cut down on the stuff that you're saving. And then there's another app or um, website called Keepsake, and that's spelled with a Q. So it's Q-U-E-E-P-S-A-K-E. And it's a service to help with um, recording memories of your kids, kind of in place of a baby book, if you wanted. And 
You can go in and enter your child's information and then they will text you questions as frequently as you want to pay for uh, the free services once a week, but you can have it every day for each child if you want to and also text pictures if you want to. So they text you a question and you reply back and then they save it. And then you can just log in and look at your book if you want. You can print it out if you desire to at some point. But that's another way that parents can cut down on some of the clutter that comes with um, the fun parts of parenting. All right, y'all. Big thanks to our new friend, Claire Potter. Check out her book. It's called Welcome to the Secular Economy. The subtitle here is The Next Step in Sustainable Living. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. You can also follow her on Twitter and Instagram. She's at Claire Potter on Twitter. We'll put her Instagram in the show notes. Ryan, real quick, for right here, right now, here's one thing that's going on in the life of the minimalists. You know, the pandemic disrupted a lot of things. But one thing it disrupted for us is we used to go out. One of the ways that you and I make a living Mm. is we speak at places. Yeah, The minimalists have spoken at Harvard and Google and Apple and countless other colleges and companies and conferences. And when the pandemic happened, everyone started working at home and we didn't really go out and speak at these places for a couple of years. We're finally getting back to it. So if you're interested in having The Minimalist speak at your organization, you can contact our agent. You, all the details are over at theminimalists.com slash speaking. Theminimalists.com slash speaking. If you want us to speak at your event or organization, we'd be happy to consider it. We only do about one or two a month, so we can't say yes to all of them. But of course, if uh, you have something that looks appealing, Looks like it aligns with what we're doing. We'd be happy to consider it. For added value this week, Ryan, have you heard of this band called the National Parks? I have not. I thought the uh, the name of the album, since we're talking about sustainable living, mm-hmm. quite often we think of, um, well, sort of apocalyptic or post-apocalyptic worlds that living in a non-sustainable way, an unsustainable way leads us to. Mm-hmm. The uh, the title of their new album is called A Mix for the End of the World, <laughs> Part 1. Why are we so obsessed with the end of the world, man? I mean, part of it is biblical. I think it goes back to that. But I, you know what? It probably goes back way before that. We're, we're obsessed with the end of things, I mean, our life, and we want mm. to assume something goes beyond this. We want things to stretch on in perpetuity as yeah. well. Anyway, it's a great album, and cool. it kind of reminds me of like just like sitting uh, or laying down on top of your car and just looking up at the stars. It's that kind of acoustic singer-songwriter, but then there are upbeat tracks as well. The song we're going to listen to at the end of this episode, if you're listening to the audio version, is Headlights, or Jordan, if they can click up here somewhere. I'm sure there's a YouTube version of Headlights. This is from the National Parks. Their new album is called A Mix for the End of the World Part 1. Check out Headlights. By the way, Ryan, we have a bunch more surprise questions this week, like what are three things that every minimalist must consider to create a more sustainable life? How can our home's interior design save the planet? Why is it a bad idea to recycle plastic? Plus, a million more questions for Claire Potter and The Minimalists. And if you want to hear all that, check out The Minimalist Private Podcast this week. Visit patreon.com slash The Minimalists to subscribe and get your personal link 
so that our weekly private podcast plays in your favorite podcast app. You'll also gain immediate access to hundreds of hours of private archives, recordings of live events, exclusive home tours, and our private community of thousands of open-minded minimizers like you. You can follow The Minimalists on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Minimalists. If you want our podcast show notes in your inbox, sign up for our email list over at theminimalists.com. On behalf of Ryan Nicodemus, podcast Sean, Malabama, Jordan No More, Social Jess, Danny Unknown, Emma the Immigrant, and the rest of our team, I'm Joshua Fields Milburn reminding you to love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. I guess I should say use fewer things for this episode. (laughs) All right, y'all. See ya. See ya. I think we're living on a fault line. But I don't want to wait and see. So instead of watching the ground give away tonight, just come with me and hold me close. Let's drive away to someplace far and dance real slow in the headlight shine of our car. And never mind tomorrow, could we just stay and lay right where we are? For one night it's like the world's not falling apart